Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I am really excited to share this conversation with you uh, with a friend and colleague, um, somebody that I respect very much. If you've been a longtime listener, then you may have heard a few other episodes with her um, on the show earlier on in uh, the podcast development. So today you're going to be listening to a conversation with Rachel Brandoff and I, and we were talking about how challenging networking can be. And it doesn't seem to matter if you're in private practice for yourself, or if you're working at an agency where that may be part of your job, or even in higher education, uh, there can be a lot of kind of sales requirements for the work that you're doing. And we thought, you know, maybe we should have a conversation of how we can think about this in a different way and make it more palatable for people. And so if you hate networking or you think you hate networking or it feels really uncomfortable, maybe this episode will be helpful. And without further ado, I'll have you take a listen and you'll let me know. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice-building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I'm really excited to welcome back Dr. Rachel Brandoff to the show. If you're a longtime listener, then you've likely heard her as a guest in the past, but she also um, interviewed me once for the show. And um, so I'll give you a little bit of an introduction about Dr. Brandoff. She's a registered board certified art therapist, a credentialed art therapy supervisor, and she is an associate professor and coordinator of the art therapy concentration in the community and trauma counseling program at Thomas Jefferson University. Dr. Brandoff maintains a clinical practice specializing uh, with individuals who are coming out of crises and coping with trauma. She provides supervision and consultation to art therapists and professional counselors. She's served on the boards of various professional organizations, is a regular presenter at regional and national conferences. Her first book, Quick and Creative Art Projects for Creative Arts Therapists with Very Limited Budgets, was published in 2019. And she is currently the co-author of The Empowerment Wheel, Helping Clients Heal from Relationship Abuse, which comes out in early 2024 and is available for pre-order now on Amazon. And we'll have the link to that in the show notes. However, um, later on in the season, I'll be interviewing her and her co-author um, about the book and how it could be beneficial for clinicians that are listening and how they can utilize that to enhance their practice. Um, so without further ado, thank you, Rachel, for being willing to talk with me again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back. So today we thought it would be a good idea to talk about something that very many therapists um, struggle with, especially as it pertains to developing their, um, I think they're, they're like uh, their marketing self, right? There's, there's the therapist self that is providing the therapeutic and clinical work, but there's also this marketing self that we have to develop 
um, as clinicians, if we're in private practice, or I think even in some cases in like your area where you're, you've spent a lot of time in academia that like marketing oneself and networking becomes really important. If you're an author, um, even though that might not be your main job, it certainly plays a role in how well your books are received and purchased and that kind of thing. Absolutely. I, you know, we didn't go to school for marketing. Um, and yet it is such an integral part of everything we do right in this world, um, which sometimes can feel a little bit icky. Like, uh, I, I didn't get into this work to, to be in sales, but you know, I tell my students um, and supervisees, you could be doing the greatest, most important work in the world, but if nobody knows about it, how great is it? Mm. And um, without fail, a conversation that I have had so many times with students and supervisees, professionals who are relatively new in the field, sometimes right out of their master's degree, um, I say to them, you need to start networking. And they say, oh, I I knew you were going to say that, or I hoped you weren't going to say that. <laughs> I don't want to have to hear that. Um, and sometimes I think they erroneously believe that, well, I already found a job or I have a job and I even like it and I could see myself staying here for a while and I'm doing the work, so isn't that enough? Why do I also have to put myself out there and network? It's one of those things that always sounds so painful. I I know, I think I hear this too in consultation work when I'm helping other people get started in their private practice. There's a lot of resistance around networking and what do you think that, what do you think that relates to? Why do we feel um, resistance around this particular uh, task? That's such a good question. And, um, and not one that I am sure I have an answer to. Um, I do think it ties in with a few things. Um, it, it, Calling something networking makes it feel like we're um, we're turning what could otherwise be a social encounter into work. And that um, can be distressing when we often don't even get enough social encounters in our lives that are um, just connecting with another human being. Um, sometimes it can feel like you know, I'm not on the job right now. I'm not seeing clients. I'm not teaching a class. I'm not advising a student. I'm not doing the work of my work. So I really want to be off the clock and not have to, you know, um, we, we, we do talk a lot about maintaining our boundaries and self-care and that work-life balance and also that distinction of like, when is the work time and when is the lifetime gets muddy if you think about everything as a networking opportunity. And um, to some degree, I think that's not a bad thing, right? Life is muddy. Mm -hmm. This idea that like, you know, you're going to be at work and you're doing your work or you're going to be not at work and you're not going to be doing your work and there's going to be this clean and clear distinction is maybe a myth. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's easy to want to compartmentalize things into those like categories because it seems easier to wrap our mind around. And I think there's also this thing of like, oh, I don't necessarily want to be on. But if we were to shift our perspective about how we're viewing the networking process, I think it does make it more manageable you know like if you say your kids are in soccer and you're hanging out 
um, at the soccer field with the other families, you know, that is an opportunity to network. If you are serving children, perhaps you wouldn't be able to serve their children directly, but chances are because they have kids, they're talking with other families too. And they might be a potential referral source, you know, for the services that you offer, or, you know, maybe you wrote a particular book on parenting or like parenting for a child with a particular condition that um, they know somebody who's experiencing and that it's not so much the main focus. It just happens to be a way that you're like sharing information about what you do with other people. Um, but I also think it's an opportunity to learn more about those people that you're with of like, well, could they potentially be a resource for you and your work in terms of how you make referrals? Absolutely. Um, I think that, gosh, what you said brings up a lot of thoughts in my mind. Um, I think that, you know, this wanting to keep things separate, this boundary, like I'm at work here and I'm not at work here, partly comes into um, wanting to feel like we're not working all the time, which is a good thing, right? We definitely don't want that. When I go to um, the park to take my kids to soccer, I don't want to feel like I'm working. That's my weekend. That's my kid time. Um, so if I, if I'm viewing networking from the standpoint of, I need to be on, I need to meet people, I need to tell people what I'm doing, I need to find a referral stream. Um, you know, if, if that's the way I'm viewing my networking goals, then I really am working in a way that's not what I want to be doing on my Saturday morning. Um, on the other hand, if I am viewing things more from, if I'm living my personal and professional life more, um, I don't know if authentically is the word, but more in- Integrated maybe? Uh, maybe more integrated, more um, where there, where I'm, uh, I'm presenting as that same person in both forums, then that that um, networking component feels less like work. Mm -hmm. um, it can organically come up that this is what I'm working on and this is what I'm doing if it feels appropriate, but it doesn't have to be pushed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that that can be really valuable. Of course, right, you and I know that because we've both been in a situation of having immense rewards come from networking people in places that we didn't expect to be making connections. We, so we know that the payoff from that can be immense, but um, it also can be really scary. And I think one of the reasons it can be scary is because um, when I'm at work, I want to look, I want to, I want to seem polished. Mm -hmm. I want people to look at me when I'm at work whether it's in the classroom or in my clinical office, in person or virtual, whether I'm advising students or presenting at a conference, I want them to see me and say, wow, she really knows her stuff. She really has it together, right? In fact, I work hard to put that out there, right? That's why I might, um, you know, pick out a really nice professional outfit and um, put together the best PowerPoint slides that I can and really, you know, try to polish my presentation, right? Because I want to present in a way where um, I, I'm holding myself out as an expert on something and I want to look the part, right? Whereas um, when I'm going to soccer with my kids on Saturday morning, you know, my hair might be unwashed and a mess and I'm in a t-shirt and, you know, ripped jeans. And I'm kind of um, feeling like I'm barely holding it together as a busy working mom. And uh, I know the busy working moms out there will 
nod at how um, what a disparity there may be between your prof professional world and your personal world. And it feels really uncomfortable to think about making a professional connection or an overture from that vantage point of, you know, I don't look the part here. I feel vulnerable. I'm not really presenting as my best, most together polished self. Um, so I think that, you know, it, it's hard to think about networking as something that can happen everywhere when I'm really centering my polished self into my work life or, you know, certain work hours. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an interesting perspective. And I can see that I, I, um, I recently in my own therapy session was kind of talking about this disparity of like that professional self. And then in the part within me that sometimes doesn't feel very professional and like having to negotiate that and like hold um, self-compassion for myself when maybe I, I don't live up to my own expectations for myself. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I'm juggling so many different things that like certain certain tasks in my home life may not get the um attention that they need and that then can become internalized as you know that like not enoughness piece right. and um and so i can see how that could filter over into the networking if we're not fully polished that we're not all together but I also think that it's important for us to be able to be present in the world as not put together and not having all the answers and having like those rough and tumble days too. Right. I, absolutely. I couldn't agree more because, you know, ultimately, I don't think I knew this earlier in my career but I know this now when I'm networking with somebody the same way I, when I'm connecting with them in any forum, I, I'm not, I don't really want to be networking as professional, Rachel. I want to be networking. I want to be connecting with them as a human being. Yeah. I have this, um, this story I'll share with you that just came to mind when we were talking. Um, I have this friend who I met um, gosh, it, it's got to be about 20 years ago now, maybe more. And, um, I, I will call this a networking story, although it was really unintentional. It was certainly unintentional networking. I had no intention to socialize or meet anybody at all. So I was, um, going on a weekend trip at the time from Philadelphia to New York. And I get to the train the train station and I'm standing in line um, to buy a ticket and at a kiosk machine. And, and there's one woman in front of me um, at the kiosk machine buying her ticket. And the machine is malfunctioning and it's not doing what it should be. And she is having a time of it. I can just see her blood boiling and her frustration rising. And um, she, she looks like she's ready to kick the machine. And of course, you know, we know that's not really going to do anything productive. Um, but there, you know, it was the only option to get the ticket and get on this train. So I'm waiting and she is losing, she's still slowly devolving. And um, I didn't think about it at the time. I've thought about it, you know, in hindsight. Um, I just felt so much empathy for her because it, it looked like she was having a day. She was having one of those days. And I leaned forward and tapped her on the shoulder and um, she turned around kind of hurried and was like ready to um, uh, 
either apologize or maybe tell me to flip off or something. And I said, I totally get it. I had that day yesterday. And she laughed and I laughed. And we suddenly this moment that was this totally irritating, frustrating machine, not working, you know, um, on a busy night when you're trying to catch a train out of town moment became two women appreciating the frustrations of life and connecting for a moment over that. Um, and what I didn't realize I was doing when I said that, cause I was, I was not thinking, Oh, maybe I should meet somebody or maybe I should network or maybe I need to put myself out there. I was just, being human and having a human response. And we ended up, she was also on the way to New York and we were happened to be on the same train. Eventually the kerfluffle with the tickets got worked out and we both got ticketed and we got on the train and we sat next to each other and we talked the whole way. And um, on the other side of the weekend, coincidentally, we were on the same train on the way back and we wow. found each other and we sat together and we, you know, talked the whole way and we traded phone numbers and we became really good friends and started um, meeting for um, dinner regularly. It turned out she was a social worker, is a social worker. Um, she became a regular part of my referral stream and I hers, and we have crossed paths professionally over the years. Wow. And, um, you know, it was a case of networking, although that was never the goal. Right. And, you know, we were both messy haired and unkempt and our most unpolished, not our, you know, professional selves in the way that we think of holding out our professional selves. Right. Maybe not like handling our own frustration in the moment of... <laughs> life's um you know really annoying <laughs> annoying moments and you know sometimes we're not good at uh, following our own advice in those time frames and can get the best of us too um nice to know that we can still connect in that space and in with those parts of ourselves being visible I, I try to, you know, I see now that what I was doing was networking, but I didn't think about it that way at the time. And I, when I think about that story, I'm reminded that, you know, networking doesn't have to be um, walking up with a handshake and an outstretched resume saying, hi, I'm Rachel. Here's what I'm doing. How can your work and my work connect, right? Sometimes it just starts with um, a smile, a joke, a human gesture, a something that then opens the door further. Um, and, you know, it was a, it was a complete coincidence that she was also an allied health professional and that we crossed paths there. If she wasn't, it still could have been a networking opportunity in a different mm -hmm. regard, right? The same way that I might not um, be looking to offer services to the kids on my kid's soccer team, but maybe there's some, you know, further connection. Right. I, I think that there's something that you're emphasizing here and it has to do with perspective. It has to do with the way we construct meaning around the topic of networking. If, if we're looking at networking as an activity that has a specific outcome. Okay. I'm going to do this in order to get this. That is where I think some of the yuckiness factor comes in like, Oh, I have to sell myself. But if you look at networking as an opportunity to weave the social fabric of your personal support system, right? Mm -hmm. Not just professionally, but personally, your personal support system, I think it becomes way more palatable of an activity because you can just show up as you are and be yourself and ask questions and learn about the other people that you're connecting with without an emphasis of like, oh, I have to sell myself because that doesn't feel that feels weird. 
-hmm. feels weird to artificial promotiness of it, you know? Yeah. Artificial is a good term, but if you're just having a human experience where you're connecting with another person, that's totally different. And it feels a whole lot easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to that end, you know, tying it in with the things that make you feel more human. So last week I went to a conference. Um, I was at the National Organization for Arts and Health uh, conference in Cleveland, Ohio, which was a beautiful experience, actually. Um, held at the Cleveland Playhouse. I had never been to a conference in a theater, but it was pretty amazing. And I went because I was presenting with um, two of my colleagues. And I had this moment of um, sort of questioning uh, on my way on out there where I kind of thought, why am I going to this again? Um, I uh, didn't see the exact linear um, path between, you know, what I was presenting on and what my uh, regular day job is. And, you know, when things aren't, when lines aren't so cleanly drawn professionally, I think it's easy to sometimes get a little bit um, uh discombobulated about, you know, which path is this leading to, or what is this on? And I kind of pushed those thoughts out and just kind of thought, you know, I'm going and this is going to, you know, I'm moving forward in this arts and health community that is um, very rich and where there's actually a lot of exciting things happening. So I get there and they had this um, networking reception on the first night. And um, I walk in and I immediately felt this wave of dread hmm. wash over me. And I was like, oh God, I gotta do this. Um, and probably some people who know me professionally, um, both uh, from my university or in the art therapy community might be surprised to hear that, that networking um, doesn't, come easy to me all the time and putting myself out there and how and taking those initial steps and having those initial conversations um isn't always the easiest thing um in fact sometimes it feels easier when there's like a specific mission at hand like if i'm presenting on a specific topic i can talk on that but when it's a little bit more um off the cuff and right not as goal-oriented towards a specific outcome, it feels harder. So I walk in and um, I was with my two colleagues who also had a similar reaction to me. They both responded with a, oh my goodness. And, um, and I was a little surprised by that because I view both of them as people that have a really easy time networking and they can talk to anybody and they seem so outgoing. And it seems to me from where I sit, like it comes so easy for them. And I know that that's how it looks to other people when I do it too. Um, but here we all three were having this conversation of, oh my goodness. And it was probably as good as, um, networking party setups can be they had a buffet with really good food they had a live band that was playing really great music um you got a drink ticket when you walked in and um there was a lot of people there and everybody seemed to be there for the you know the same reason and it was in this beautiful restored 1920s theater uh in the center of the city so all of these great things were there. There was nothing about the setup, but it was just this feeling perhaps built on expectation that mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. about what I was like, oh, here I gotta, I gotta perform. I gotta be on. I gotta figure out a way to to sell myself or what I'm doing or talk to these accomplished people that clearly have it all together when um, you know, I I'm a hot mess. Um and my colleagues and I had like a little powwow for a moment 
And somebody, I don't know which one of us said, you know, we were kind of um, saying encouraging things to each other, kind of pushing our, ourselves forward to networking. And somebody said, you know, let's each meet two people. If you talk to, like, you don't have to win the whole room over. You don't have to leave with a whole football team full of names. Like, if you talk to two people, that's fine. And I thought, okay, I can talk to two people. That's doable. <laughs> and I, so I, I felt like now I had my task list. It still felt like work, but it was like a shorter task list than how do I work this room or make my way through it? Well, that's, uh, there were some people that gave little speeches at the beginning, people that were on the board. And one of those people said something and I thought, oh, well, that's interesting what she's doing. That's And that's an opportunity to connect. So after the mini speeches, I went walked over to her and I introduced myself and I referenced something that she had said. And I said, it's interesting to hear that you're doing this work. And and um, so that was a point of connection that made it easy to talk to her for a few minutes. And it was based on, um, you know, my interest, shared interest, her work. Um, and then I thought, okay, I, I talked to one person. Good. I got my one person down. I only need one more. <laughs> this is my mindset at the party. And um, I start walking through the room and I'm kind of looking around seeing, you know, am I going to catch somebody's eye? Is there going to be a situation where I can um, move into a group who's at a cocktail table or something like that? And um, I see there's an art table. Mm. So this is what I mean. I, I said something about like tying your networking to your interests. So I see there's this table filled with art supplies and some of it's like a little bit more project oriented and some of it's kind of open-ended, take it where you want. And um, that's my wheelhouse. I'm like, great. I don't know who I want to talk to next or what to do. I'm going to go check out the art table. This is one of the things I've always loved about um, professional con conferences that include art, whether, you know, I mean, my very first American Art Therapy Association conference was in um, 2002 in Washington, D.C., and I went with a friend and I think we spent the entire conference on the floor in a corner of the art studio and um, it was magical. And, and then, you know, the expressive therapy summits have always been a rich um, repository of art making and, and um, certain other conferences do too, including the NOAA conference. So there was a, a, an empty chair and I sat down and once I was sitting down and working with art materials, suddenly networking wasn't work. It was fun. And, and it came so easy. And I met three more people in like a minute. The woman sitting next to me was folding this paper in this amazing way that I had to lean over and ask her about, how did you make that? What, ooh, where did you get that idea? And next thing you know, she and I are talking about her work and my work and it's just flowing. And I feel like I've known her for 20 years. Hmm. Because now it's not work. Now we're just two people sitting at the art table playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's a really um, helpful thing to share for people that are struggling with figuring out how to network with others. Because um, you're right, it can feel really overwhelming. It can feel like dreadful it can feel like work or there's like a performance element to it. And like, I feel like there's two different types, right? There's some times where it may be performative and you have to get into your, you know, like theater-esque kind of persona in order to accomplish those ends. And then there's the more casual networking, which you don't, it, it's open-ended. It's just, the goal is just connection. And if you can do that while having fun over mm -hmm. something 
where there's a common, a, like a commonality or, or shared interest, it does make it so much easier and more pleasurable. Um, recently, we had an open house at my practice and we had art, art activities and experiences set up throughout because we wanted people to stay. We wanted people to feel comfortable and engage and create and, and get their hands into things. And it worked like people that came did stay. I had somebody say, it just felt like everybody was so comfortable in your space because people were engaging in this really meaningful way. Yes, they were connecting with other people, but they were having fun with the creative process and, and engaging with the materials, which opened up that ability to talk with the whoever was sitting next to them and to develop that exchange. Oh, I would have loved that open house. I know where I would have been <laughs> at that art table the whole time. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I think to that extent, like you, with a lot of things in life, people say this about, you know, um, dating and relationships, right? Like you can meet people a lot of different ways. You might as well do it in concert with activities that are of interest to you. Right. Um, so if I'm, you know, partly because if I, if I network when I'm, if I sit down at an art table to network with someone, um, I might meet somebody of interest. I might make a con connection, but I'm also going to do something I'm already interested in and make art and have a good experience for myself in myself. And because I'm engaged in something that's meaningful to me and that I like, it's probably going to lower my defenses and make me more open to connecting with others. Hmm. Um, so true. And, and I think that that sort of open-ended um, connecting opportunity is a really important piece of doing networking in a way that feels more authentic to who we are and less like work. Mm -hmm. um, at in my program at Jefferson, I host um, art studio nights for oh, that are nice. open for my students um, in the art therapy concentration and in the trauma counseling program. And I invite um, my alumni to come back to that. And I invite faculty to come and um, you know, sometimes students are have such tunnel vision, they don't meet anybody outside of their own classes or their own cohort or their own year. And um, networking isn't always so linear, like I'm going to talk to this person and I hope it res results in a job. Um, it's often sort of the muddy means to the ends. And um if you like making art and you go to a studio night and you're there with other people in the same profession who are doing that too, that's already going to lead to something. And the fruits of that may not be harvested for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. we, we, we had an experience years ago where we uh, went as volunteers to a clay studio and constructed um clay masks that were um, donated to a fundraising event and were there with other art therapists. Mm -hmm. um, and then years later, that uh, a connection that I had um, struck up resulted in an internship placement for a student. So I, I couldn't have foreseen it at the time. I didn't know that student. I wasn't looking for something like that. Um, sometimes you know i think not knowing what the fruits of the networking are going to be is is kind of part of the fun <laughs> i i actually think that it's better to have that perspective to to go into these 
um, experiences for the purpose of having the experience and being in the moment and whatever that has to offer with the people that you're engaging in. Because if you're going there with the purpose of, I have to go here in order to get this outcome or to get, you know, this person to refer people to me or whatever, there's a lot of pressure, a greater expectation. And I think that just like raises our own anxiety around the experience, which then it just, I don't know. I think it has an impact on the dynamics of the exchange. I think you're right. And it it also sets up this dynamic where, you know, if I have this objective and I don't achieve that objective, then I have failed. Mm-hmm. And if I'm viewing myself as having failed in that objective, then I'm not open to all of these other potential outcomes that could result of that. You know, right. Maybe this person knows somebody, maybe there's a connection to be had, maybe um, they can help lead me to uh, a supervisor or a, a somebody. Um, yeah, I, I think every time we're engaging with people, whether it's colleagues in a current job that maybe we don't like and we want to leave, um, those collegial relationships that you create there have rollover potential for you later on in your future. Um, That every relationship that we, you know, establish is an important part of that, that fabric, right? That tapestry that I'm talking about um, personally and professionally. And then even Like when you're, I don't know, when you're going into your, like, it sounds strange, but um, like even my dentist office, right? Like I have been going to the same dentist office for years and had the same hygienist, although I don't need more. She left the practice and went somewhere else, which was heartbreaking because I had, we had like this really great rapport and, um, you, like when I was opening up my office, I was like sharing with her. And of course she like shared with the, the dentist who owned the practice. And it's like, every time I would come in, she would ask me how my practice was going. And, you know, you, you start to develop relationships every everywhere that you go it doesn't have to be like going to a specific conference or work related event to build your network and create opportunities for greater connection in your in your community right well I think what you're speaking to what you're saying speaks to this idea of like um the authenticity that you you are you you're not um art therapist reina and then you know regular person outside of work reina you're reina and all of those are a part of you and sometimes you're at work and sometimes you're at rest but you're still all of who you are and what you are under every circumstance so holding yourself out as who you are and not i mean Yes, there are some benefits of segmenting your life. And I'm not saying that, you know, work hours should never stop. That's certainly not the message. Um, I once got a referral from my podiatrist. Uh, I wasn't planning on it. I wasn't, I, I was seeing this podiatrist, not because I was networking, not because I was looking for new clients or (laughs) selling myself. I had an ingrown toenail. I mean, I had to deal with that. Um, (laughs) And and, um, she's looking over my chart and talking to me and she says, you're an art therapist. What's that? And so I I told her, you know, of course my students do their two minute elevator pitch early on in their program because as we know people will ask you what is our therapy and you will have to explain it and um she was so interested in that she's had never heard of it before and she thought it sounded so 
um, useful and she could see the potential for it. And for the next several visits, every time I came, came in, she said, oh, it's my art therapist. And she was so excited to have learned that this is a thing and what it is. And um, uh, it was interesting when I needed to call up for a refill of a prescription, I told the receptionist, tell her it's the art therapist. Cause I knew she'd remember that aspect of me. <laughs> Um, but eventually, uh, she made a referral to me because she ran into somebody in her own life and I was the art therapist that she knew. And so this was sort of professionally beneficial for me, but not because I went into every single sector of life thinking I need to network because I'm marketing my practice because I was just being me. And part of being me is being an art therapist and, you know, answering a question about what that is. If somebody is curious. I love that. And that, that takes like so much of the pressure off of this whole process, right? That you can just be yourself and that's enough for the networking process. So how do you think that we can turn this whole process of networking into opportunities um, that like connect with things that you're passionate about? I know we've been talking about like how to integrate networking just as part of what you do naturally and not actually looking at it as like a task that you have to do separate from just living your normal life. How can we turn these opportunities of connection that we have into things that we're passionate about? Like collaborative opportunities, let's say. That's a great question. I mean, one a, a few things are popping up in my mind. One thing is, um, I think it's important to be proud of what you do. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that you always want to have a conversation with everybody who crosses your path about exactly what you do. But I do know a lot of people, mental health clinicians, who might hold back on saying what they do or describing what they do. And I don't think that helps to further anything. Mm -hmm. And certainly it doesn't introduce yourself as an authentic person. Okay. If what you do is that you're a therapist, being able to say that and own that and hold that out there in a way, and, and it might mean finding the way to talk about it that you are comfortable with. I think it has to do with boundary setting, right? Our comfort mm -hmm. level with boundary setting. I know that earlier on in my career, um, I can think of like one time being at um, a little pizza place, which was around the corner from my house. It only had a few um, like tables to sit at. And then it had like, like a little, um, little bar area up at the front. It was a really tiny little hole in the wall space. And, um, and I had gone there and the only place to sit that night was up at that little bar space, which was fine, except for that frequently people that were coming in to pick up their dinner would come and, you know, stand there and hang out and wait and pay for their stuff. And one time I, this one time that I was there, I was with, um, another girlfriend and we were just kind of catching up and, a, a woman who was picking up her dinner started talking to us and, you know, did ask what we do and I did share. And then she proceeded to um, really divulge a lot of her personal stuff, which it was not necessarily the most appropriate thing to divulge in that context and setting with somebody that she didn't know, even though I was a therapist. Right. And early on, I don't think I had the skill set to actually say that 
to her and say, I appreciate that you feel comfortable enough to share that with me right now, but it's really not the appropriate time nor place. I can give you a card and I can give you some recommendations for people that might be able to help you, but this isn't the right venue for that. Right. But I didn't have that skill set at the time. Yeah. And and I've been in the opposite situation where in one case I was in a social setting and starting to have a conversation with a person who and who was interesting and uh the conversation started out to be one that felt promising and then um when i mentioned that i was a therapist everything sort of shut down and came crashing down very abruptly because this person was um very very anxious that um, now that they knew that I was a therapist, that I was clearly going to be analyzing and uh, teasing them apart and unfurling and diagnosing and sort of, you know, the, the worst case Judging. scenario fears <laughs> that they had about what that meant. And so it didn't allow anything to go forward. And and I all similarly, this was earlier in my career, didn't have the the knowledge or the skill set or the practice to be able to say you know I'm enjoying talking with you and the fact that I'm a therapist doesn't mean that I am bringing my work that I do with my clients into the conversation that we're having now and kind of move Mm -hmm. past this um discomfort into a place where we could have a more productive discussion um but but I think you know finding that way to be both proud about what you do, honest about what you do, also boundaried and reading the situation that allows for comfortable, productive, interesting connections to arise is important. Yeah. Um, I, I also like the idea of, you know, looking at networking as an extension of the stuff that you like to do anyway, like in the example of being at the conference where I sat down at the art table, that made it really easy for me. Suddenly I was, all of my um, anxieties about putting myself out there and having to meet people were sort of fell away. And I was free to just like create and enjoy my space and, um, then I ended up having conversations with several people around me at this art table. And I would always encourage people to set themselves up for some networking success by finding the things that they like to do anyway, or that they enjoy anyway, which could be, you know, a personal or professional book club, or it could be, um, you know, a, a, an activity or a hobby or a sport, or it could be taking a class somewhere, or it could be, I mean, any number of things. And yet, um, then there's also this piece of like, sometimes you do need to flex outside of your comfort zone, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, Flexing outside of your comfort zone. I personally think that that's super important as a therapist, because that's what we do um, all day long as we ask our clients to do things outside of their comfort zone. That's part of growing. And so if I'm not doing that as well, then I feel a little bit hypocritical. So I really try to push myself to go out of my comfort zone. And, and what I found was that um, over the years, it was not natural for me to be a networker, but I feel more of a connector and less of a networker. I feel like that's my, my view of what I'm doing is I'm building connection. I'm forging connection between myself and the other person that I'm meeting and learning about, but I'm also then forging connections between them and the other people that I've met in my network that I believe it would be beneficial for those people to connect with um, on some level for whatever reason that that may be. 
and that I'm not just, you know, the goal isn't like, oh, I'm connecting for, for me, but I'm also connecting for all of the, the people that I'm in connection with, if I can facilitate that, um, it feels really good, but I think it's also helpful for them in some way. And then it creates greater opportunities for things like collaboration, um, amongst like, you know, like-minded, um, activities, like you were saying, whether that's, you know, hosting a book club together, or maybe a consultation group together, or, um, a, a, a training or a writing opportunity. You, you are a connector. And I think that you do, um, you do it in a way that doesn't just benefit you. I mean, even hosting this podcast and all of the people that you interview, I feel like it's like a, an extended networking service that I get to learn about all of these different professionals around the country and the world who are doing this different kind of work. Sometimes that's similar to what I'm doing. And sometimes it's very different. Um, but it makes, it makes me think that, that perhaps one of the most important ingredients in networking, and this is especially true if you're getting out of the mindset of viewing it as a task and, you know, as work and viewing it more as an extension of the authentic way you carry yourself as a professional is um, that there's great value in being curious. Mm -hmm. And you do this all the time when you interview people and talk to people and you learn about the different kinds of contributions that they're making, both in the creative arts therapies, but also in other allied health professions and in um, the greater world of social service. And um, I think that when I when I approach people, I mean, if, if you approach people from the standpoint of be curious, right, you have something to learn from everybody, everybody has something interesting that they're doing or thinking about or talking about. And it could be that it sort of exists within one conversation or less in terms of overlapping with you. Um, but it also could potentially go much more than that. I mean, certainly I have met my share of people for whom after one conversation, um, I've learned enough that I don't need to take it forward. I'm sure I've, I've been that person for other people too, where they're like, okay, now I know what she's doing next. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that makes sense. But, um, but starting with that one conversation, regardless of how you met, met them or came across them, starting from the standpoint of like, I wonder, I wonder what this person's doing. I'm curious about how they're overlapping. I, I have had the good fortune through some professional colleagues um, this year of um, developing this new group of friends who in some ways are very different from me. Um, they're uh, in you know, in some cases, different generations, different points of their life, very different professions. Um, you know, one woman is an industrial designer and another is uh, an MD and another is a nurse. And, you know, I mean, people that are just doing different work, um, coming at um, helping people from different points of education and experience. And yet there's um, still so many opportunities to overlap and to have interdisciplinary collaboration. And I think it starts from this standpoint of curiosity and, you know, I, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder what I can learn from them. I wonder what, and if you find that when you meet somebody or you start learning about somebody that the questions keep coming for you, hmm that perhaps is a sign that there's something that this connection is awakening in you. And maybe that can be something that moves forward, whether it's, you know, um, 
having referrals to your practice or collaborating on a workshop or an article or um, getting the opportunity to guest teach a course or whatever it is. But when you start out from the standpoint of, um, oh, this person's doing this thing that I never heard of, or I didn't know about, or I want to learn more and that's neat. And you, you know, that's something to capitalize on, even if they're, um, from a different background or space from you. I love that. I think that there's, there's so much more that we can accomplish when we approach connecting with others from that curious space. And then it opens up the opportunity for really, uh, impactful conversation and dialogue to happen. And that then can really, you know, lend itself to that collaborative aspect of things. Cause ultimately, right. If we're, if we go back to the, the old construct of what networking is, right. I'm mm-hmm. doing this in service of advancing my career in some way or, or my like, you know, my life in some way, whatever it is, well, that collaboration can be that. Now, I don't think it's helpful to have that as the definition. I think that that usually is impairing people from actually taking action towards networking. Um, Whereas if you go in with the intent of, I'm going to meet somebody, hopefully I'll make a friend, um, and, and that's enough. I'm going to learn about somebody else, what they do, what their interests are, who they serve, um, how, how, who they serve might benefit from people in my network who I'm serving. Um, that's enough. It is enough. And if you're going to a networking event, whether it's the networking mixer at a conference or something like what you held at your office, which was an opportunity for networking, um, uh, or you're at a dinner or something like that. Um, other people are there with the same agenda. They're, they're thinking the same thing. How do I connect with people? How do I, and what can this lead to? Um, and you don't have to go in polished, right? You don't have to have your script. In fact, you're probably less appealing and more of a turnoff if you are too scripted or too polished, it is those, you know, interesting anecdotes, those human pieces, those stories that really make us want to lean into other people. And that's what makes them want to lean into us is not when we're, um, you know, giving the, the lecture or sermon in a really clear, clean way. But when, you know, when, when, our, when we're muddy up to our elbows, we're more appealing, perhaps. When when we present as human beings and not as somebody who is perfect. I mean, I, I love that my first encounter with this woman that became a good friend was seeing her have a meltdown at the ticket kiosk in a train station. And we have joked about that over the years about how, how funny it is that, um, Seeing somebody's, I mean, we know this as therapists, right? But seeing somebody's vulnerability can build connection, can help mm-hmm. um, strengthen the way we relate to them. But but there's still so much fear in that. Right. It, it's when we're willing to turn into it and tune into it that that's where like the the fruitfulness of it happens. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you making the time to talk about this topic today. I think it was a really great discussion and I hope that it inspires um, listeners that have been struggling with networking to think about it from a different perspective and to give it a try from that other place of not having to be perfect, like that it gives them that permission to just be themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And to go in with, with no agenda, right? Maybe you'll get a client out of it. Maybe you'll get a contract. Maybe you'll get, maybe you'll get a new friend. Maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll 
realize something that you don't want to do. Maybe, you know, I mean, there's just the possibilities are endless if you go in considering them that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This You're was welcome. a fun conversation to explore. It was, it was. If listeners wanted to reach out to you and connect with you, where can they do that? Um, I'm, I'm always available by email and I'm happy to share my email. You can share it in the, in the show notes also, but it's Rachel Brandolph at Gmail. Um, and LinkedIn is a great way to contact me as well. Dr. Rachel Brandolph mm-hmm. at LinkedIn. LinkedIn. All right. I'll put those in the show notes. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you soon about your new book. Thank you. As always, thanks for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the show with Dr. Rachel Brandoff and I. Um, I'm going to have her on again uh, shortly in the next, I don't know, month or so. And we're going to be talking about her new book that is coming out in early 2024. Um, the Empowerment Wheel, which focuses on um, art therapy interventions using an empowerment-based uh, approach to helping individuals that have uh, been in um, various types of relationship abuse. And um I've had the good fortune to be able to read it in advance and it's awesome. And so I can't wait to talk with her and her co-author, author. her name is Astra Caesarney. I think I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. I may have it pronounced wrong, um, but it's excellent and it is available currently for pre-order on Amazon. Um, and again, it's called the empowerment wheel. If you're interested in that, um, anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode and perhaps you're inspired to think about networking in a different way. And I look forward to sharing the next episode with you next week. And if I knew what it was, I would let you know, but I don't even know what it's going to be yet. So it'll be a surprise for both of us. All right. Stay creative, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.